Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Health Upgrade Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Jay Korsandi, the sleep biohacker. And I'm really excited about our, our talk today. Dr. Kursandi is a former cosmetic dentist, has been a startup co-founder, a sleep advocate, and a podcast host of the Best Night Ever podcast. And essentially, what we talk about is sharing his knowledge of a couple decades worth of knowledge in regards to how to optimize your sleep. He talks about nutritional support, sleep optimization, setting up your sleep sanctuary, and essentially getting yourself into a position to be able to optimize how you sleep and how you recover overnight. The importance of sleep is not lost on us. And this is a wonderful episode. I'm really excited to share our talk. Without further ado, here is Dr. J. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm really excited about our chat. We met um, just about a year ago in a biohacking event in Los Angeles by uh, Ben Greenfield's event when he released the book Boundless. And it was kind of a chance meeting, a chance encounter, but it was one of those things that it happens and all of a sudden you're just kind of like, this is great. I'm really excited about meeting this person. And we've obviously developed a great bond since then. I'm excited to speak to you today about sleep and how we can optimize our sleep. You being the sleep biohacker, the first person that came into my mind when we decided to do a topic here. So let's jump right in. Let's let's talk about your background. Where did you kind of go to school and, and what brought you into sleep as being your specialty? Yeah, so I was trained as a dentist. Uh, I went to school in Chicago. I went to Northwestern University uh, Dental School a long time ago. And, uh, you know, dentistry has a lot of rewarding aspects to it. And I've done just about every different aspect of it from regular fillings to, you know, cosmetic stuff, uh, to root canals, surgeries, all that stuff. And uh, I got to a point where I was looking for something a little bit more different, a little bit more outside the box. And over the years, uh, I've tried different, let's say, subspecialties or different things. And one of the things that's become more important these days in, in an emerging field in dentistry was, is airway management. And that's dealing with people who snore, who have sleep apnea, have difficulties breathing at night. Uh, and, and I wasn't personally affected by that, but I had a, a number of health challenges and issues uh, that were happening about five years ago, chronic pain, a lot of different infections. I had to see uh, an infections disease specialist actually here in, in, in LA. Uh, because I was having these these strange things that were either diseases of very, very young children or very, very old adults. So I knew my something was wrong. Uh, and that's when I started to look into things that you do, the health optimization, functional medicine, and sleep optimization became one of the things that I became very, very interested in just because I saw the impact it had on people with snoring and sleep apnea. I said, well, that's low-hanging fruit. Well, what else can we do to take it to the next level? And, and that's when I also started becoming much more into the whole biohacking scene. And it all came together. And, and I'm grateful for it because I'm able to make a huge impact in people's lives rather quickly without any kind of drugs, surgeries. I mean, literally, if you have sleep apnea, I can give you a CPAP machine and, and tomorrow your life will change. So, so that's really, really exciting. And, and that's where, you know, that led me to 
where we're at now with the the website and the sleepbiohacker.com and the Instagrams and the podcasts and uh, and, and our chance meeting worked out great because I, I think as soon as I met you, you said um, you wrote a book on vagus nerve and I said, oh my God, my vagus nerve is totally shot. What do I do right now, right now? So so it's been great, you know. It's amazing, yeah. No, it's uh, a great chance encounter, but I'm I'm glad to hear that even your story was very similar to mine in terms of, we had our own health struggles. We decided we wanted to figure something out in regards to the the best way to address those things. And a lot of us in that biohacking and that uh, health optimization, functional medicine type of area have gone through our own health struggles that led us into this optimization path. So interesting to hear your story as well and to know that there is some uh, correlation there for sure. Let's talk a little bit about airway management and the importance of the airway, uh, especially when it comes to sleep. Why does it even matter? It's interesting because if we're younger, uh, let's say, you know, teens, 20s, generally, we could do pretty much whatever we want. We could eat whatever we want, drink whatever we want, and things aren't usually going to be that bad. The problem with sleep and airway is something that gets worse as we get older and also as, as we get heavier. So my demographics were generally men 40, to 40 and over and women 50 and over. And, and I'm in that category. So now, unless you are younger and really, really heavy as well too, there could be a problem there. But generally, uh, this has been something that I see day in and day out where they're coming in saying, this wasn't something that bothered me years ago. Why is this happening to me now? And the issue is, is as we get older, we lose muscle tone, we lose bagel tone, and we generally gain weight. And all those impact right in that intersection of the airway, the back of the tongue, back of the throat, as all that, that entire complex gets weaker, as we fall asleep, they collapse more, they become more flappy, floppy, whatever you want to call it. And we start to snore, and then we start to stop breathing, which is the progression. So snoring is a partial collapse of the airway, apnea, it's a total obstruction and blockage of the airway. And People come in and say, you know, this, you know, doesn't really bother me. It bothers my wife. You know, I sleep fine. But then we do a sleep study on them and it comes back that they're stopping breathing 45 times, let's say 60 times an hour, which is off the charts severe. Normal should be zero to four. Five and over is considered sleep apnea, 30 and over is severe. And I get people coming in with 60 times an hour all the time. That means they're stopping breathing once every minute. For the entire night for a minimum of 10 seconds with an oxygen desat of at least four percent so these are people that are completely unaware of how damaged their sleep is but on the flip side is i get excited and i tell them oh my god you're about to have a life change that you're not even aware of and as long as they're on board with the therapies and the recommendations they'll come back they've lost weight their wives are, or their partners are happy uh, they're starting to eat better, they're, they're making lifestyle choices, and they go, I haven't slept like that in five years. So for me, that's what gets me excited. And that's what, why airway is important, because you know, we spend a third of our lives asleep, you know, eight hours a day, yet we don't give it the attention that it deserves, or the opportunity to optimize that we could have. And, and that's where I get excited. I love that. I love the fact that you're able to make such a drastic change in people's lives with some, something so simple that is so easily overlooked. And really, that's what Health Upgraded is all about is how can we take a deeper look? How can we figure out 
what the small challenges are, the little habits, the things that you're not aware of, the blind spots that are causing the challenges, how can we address those and turn it into a very positive thing for you so that you can live the life that you want? That's exactly what we love to do. So I love hearing that. Airways, obviously... Uh, a huge important piece of the puzzle. It's something I talk about with regards to vagus nerve as well. And being able to keep a patent open airway throughout the night uh, where we don't have these apneic events throughout the night uh, is going to be correlated with, with optimal recovery and, and sleep. What are some of the more common things that you notice or that you see when people are dealing with these challenges and they're not yet aware that they are dealing with these apnea type events? The two biggest ones, drug-resistant hypertension. Uh, these patients are going to come in and say, I've got blood pressure. I'm on medication. It's still not going down. Uh, they're going to say type 2 diabetes. They're on metformin. They're going to say excessive daytime sleepiness. They're going to say weight gain. They're going to say mood uh, issues. They're more depressed. They're more irritable. They're going to say libido. If they're, these are guys, I have guys coming in to say, you know what? My, my, my hardware, it's not, my plumbing's not working the way it used to. And that's, that, that's a whole nitric oxide discussion that we can have about it as well. So most common challenges, the number one challenge or the number one complaint is going to be noise generally, if it's coming from a partner or, or spouse. Uh, the other one is going to be mood, excessive daytime fatigue, uh, all the things that we covered there. And, and the, the issue is, is people don't make the connection. They go, you know what? I, I eat pretty well. I eat a lot of salads. I work out. But they don't address the sleep. So there, there's three pillars that I usually tell patients. There's the movement aspect, which is, you know, you don't have to go do a triathlon. You just need to get out, go for walks. Uh, there's the uh, nutrition element, which is going to be, you know, you don't have to diet per se. You just have to be aware of what you're putting in your body, how your body metabolizes it, for lack of a better word. And, and if you're candidate for what you're putting in your mouth. And the other is sleep. So the three pillars, you get those, generally most patients will come in if they're, they want to get better. They've already optimized the first two. Uh, they said, you know what, I'm, I'm eating better. Uh, I'm moving around more. I'm getting some exercise, but I tell them, you know, you could do all that all day long, but if you're not sleeping at night, that's all going to get unraveled and, and you're and you could be going to the gym seven days a week, but you got to get the sleep under, under control. No question. And I think there's uh, something to be said for getting optimal sleep and the the importance of getting the right amount of time for yourself, right? Do you find that there are differences in the amount of time that people need when it comes to sleep? Yeah, I mean, everyone always likes to throw this eight hours out. I know that I haven't slept eight hours for, for years, maybe a decade. I mean, I sleep about seven, seven and a half hours at night. It was seven, seven hours and 23 minutes for the, until this whole pandemic. I mean, I was like, like clockwork. But our needs change uh, throughout time. When we're younger, we sleep more. I mean, young, young kids, like you know, we'll, we'll sleep 10 plus hours a day. As we get older, I think our requirements go down. Uh, especially one argument that you can make is that the more healthy we are, the more efficient we are, the less we need to recover at night, perhaps. Or let's say we worked out really hard. Maybe that night we're going to need a little bit more sleep. But generally, if you're more healthy and efficient, I think you need a little bit less sleep. I have patients that come in for airway issues and check this one out. They'll say they could sleep 10 hours and feel like it hasn't even mattered. I, I had a patient, I actually put this on my Instagram, severe apnea. I think it was a hundred times an hour they, they stopped breathing. And I put them on a CPAP machine 
And the, the machines that we give them, I'm able to track them with remote tracking. I can log into a portal online and see how they slept. And the first night, I think he had the work the next day. So he wore it for like four or five hours. I think it was like a Thursday night, Friday night. I remember this was like a year ago. Friday night, he wore that machine 11 and a half hours. Yeah. Talk about sleep debt. And, and his, his AHI, which is your apnea hypopneonics, went from 100 down to like 3.1 or something. A zero to four is normal. I called the guy on Monday and he goes, oh my God, my life is changing. He, I think he had a restaurant. He was like, yeah, I was under stress and you know, wife was about to divorce me. And you know, it was just game changing. So, so that's why the importance of, of sleep quality is more important to me than quantity. No question about it. I think that that's a great way to put it. Quality matters so much. And so in your work, what have you noticed are some of the best tools or the best ways to set yourself up for success when you are sleeping? What are some of those things that we can do before bed? You know, I always say the best night starts the morning you wake up and your best morning starts the night before. So you have to kind of think of it as this like connected loop. And like, let's say if you want to have a good night's sleep that night, what can you do from the morning you wake up until bedtime that's going to funnel you down into falling asleep easily, staying asleep throughout the not, wait, not waking up at two, three in the morning and, and having a racing mind. All of these can be controlled, but they need to be controlled earlier on, not 30 minutes before you go to bed. Just you know, throw your phone to the side and, and go to sleep. One of the, the easiest things is trying to keep a consistent sleep schedule. Uh, it's been an interesting time during this pandemic because a lot of people are working from home, so they have a little bit more flexibility. So you can actually figure out what your quote unquote chronotype is, is by just letting your body fall asleep when it should and waking up when it should, no alarm clocks, if you can do that. And if you can get into a consistent state, then your body becomes more familiar with that. So setting a consistent sleep wake cycle is going to be one of the easiest things. The other stuff uh, and we can talk about is light exposure. Uh, when we get up in the morning, if you can catch a sunrise, around that time is always going to be beneficial. I, I, I like to divide my light exposure into three compartments. First is going to be sunrise, just for what happens is when the sun hits our eyes, uh, we have receptors there. And a lot of people don't know this, but the, the eyes are actually projections of the brain. When you look at embryology and you look at you know, fetus developing, as it's growing, you will see the brain start to appear and then you'll see these little dots and they'll actually travel down towards the front of the face. So it's, it's really crazy. But when light hits this part of the eyes, the activates melatonin production in the pineal. Uh, so what happens when you catch a sunrise, it's that red and infrared light, like these red light panels that are very popular now, and 660 to 850 nanometer range. When they hit your eyes, you get a pool, a, a collection of melatonin in the pineal gland that's stored for that night. So you pop a bunch of exogenous melatonin. And one of the other things that's very interesting is the posterior pituitary and the pineal gland are the only two glands in the brain that are not bound by the blood-brain barrier. They secrete directly into the bloodstream, which is really, really important to understand when you start to make that connection. So back to the whole sun compartments. Morning sunrise, daytime, noon, one o'clock, get out, 20-minute walk, get as much sun on the skin as possible. That's going to be for circadian entrainment and some vitamin D production, which is critical at this time. I mean, I'm, I'm taking a bunch of vitamin D, but I'm trying to also get a lot of sun exposure. Fortunately, I live in LA. 
we were talking about this off mic, you know, it's, it's beautiful sunny day today. Uh, so I'm going to go out for a walk and, and that's going to tell my brain, okay, it's the middle of the day. It's time to stay awake, to keep awake, and then also pr produce some vitamin D. And then the other is going to be sunset. If you can get the three of those, that's like the Holy Trinity. Does that happen for me every day? No, but uh, if you can catch a sunset again, back to that red light therapy. Or, and if you can't catch a sunset, go sit by a fireplace. Uh, I've, I've noticed when we, we've talked about sleep trackers, when I have a fireplace outside, a fire pit, and whenever I spend 20 minutes there at night in front of that, my aura ring score goes through the roof, especially my deep sleep. And, and that's back to that red light therapy. So you don't have to have fancy panels and all the gadgets and toys. I mean, it's, it's all uh, in nature. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about the sun and being able to kind of have our rhythms and our biology follow the rhythm of the day of the sun and uh, ideally getting some of that sunlight exposure throughout the day in those three different Holy Trinity events that you talk about. I love that. I think a lot of people don't realize the extent to which melatonin is produced in the morning and that we have that, that reservoir that's created right off the bat. And so, so many of us, the first thing we do is we pick up our cell phone and say, how many emails and text messages do I have on, on my phone? And we immediately get this blast of blue light first thing in the morning. What can we do about electronics in the bedroom? What can we do about that specifically? Yeah, that's a big one. And I would say, you know, my wife is also terrible with this. She's at night playing on her phone, playing these games and stuff like that. And it's, I, I, I lash at her. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> but it, it is a problem. It's, it's twofold. You know, one is the morning challenge and one is the night challenge. You know, we all want to get up in the morning, grab our phone, check the text, check the emails, check the social media, check the news. In the morning, the blue light isn't as much of a deal for me. And in fact, I've used my phone in some ways, you know, they actually sell these glasses that will shine blue light on your eyes. You could use your phone in essence to kind of help boost you up in the morning, but it's the content that's the really triggering problem. I mean, I'll sit there and I'll get emails that I don't want to deal with. I'll get texts that I don't want to hear about. I got emails this morning that said my, my website is going to be shut down. I mean, it was just fear-based from some, you know, spam email. And for a few seconds, I was triggered that, oh, my God, I need to go log on to my domain and, and fix my website before it gets shut down. So people out there are using fear tactics in, in all kinds of different ways, whether it's the news, whether it's, you know, your bank account, whatever it is. And, and that's not the kind of stuff that we want to get fed into our brain in the morning when we're waking up. When we wake up, we're in a very suggestive state. We, we, we just spent the last seven, eight hours recovering, consolidating memories, regulating hormones. And I tell people waking up is kind of like, you know, if you've had surgery and you wake up from recovery, if, if someone came to you and suggested you to do things, you're just going to say, uh, okay. You know, it's like, well, if you've ever had nitrous oxide and I've used this on my patients, you know, when I get, put them on nitrous oxide, they become much more loose. Uh, you know, I can give them injections in their mouth and they, they could care less. And that's the thing in the morning. But if you're getting fed all this BS and all <laughs> this triggering stuff, that's not the time that you want to be absorbing that. So that, that's the problem with the phone in the morning. And then obviously at night, uh, there's an issue with the blue light. You definitely don't want that hitting your face. There's a, some people would say there's a flicker issue where that's also messing with your eyes. And the third would be the content issue again at night. You know, last thing I want to see is you know, the ICUs here are, are packed to capacity. And now, you know, the National Guard is coming in to build tents. I was like, okay, I mean, it's important, but I, I you know, I don't want to go to sleep having to worry about, I have enough things to worry about and I, I don't need more of that. 
Yeah, I love that. And, and the content piece does play a major role for a lot of people, myself included, and, and not wanting to read those emails first thing in the morning or get that news that, that's going to trigger us and, and kind of exploit that suggestive behavior and suggestive brain function that we're in during that time. Obviously, a, a, a really important tool. You mentioned, obviously, keeping your cell phone um, around at night and, and not having that blue light exposure at night or right before bed. What are some things that we can do instead that will help to either keep that cell phone or tablet or whatever it is out of the bedroom and will help to promote a positive environment for optimal sleep? You know, I, I would I would put my phone, I use it kind of like a reverse alarm clock. And, and, you know, these days with these iPhones and I think Android as well, you can set it to where it will start to change colors, just like a, a, a laptop screen. And I know that when I, my phone starts to go into night mode or if it changes into that orangey hue, that that's a time where I want to stop or wind down using it. You know, so you could use it as a, a reminder. It says, okay, uh, the phone's changing color. The sun's gone down. Maybe it's time to put that aside. Another thing you can do is uh, I have my Wi-Fi on a router. So this is a different kind of a trick, but I have my Wi-Fi uh, router on a timer. And usually around nine o'clock at night, it, it switches off. And as soon as that switches off, I see on my phone, the little Wi-Fi thing is gone and now I'm on, on cell data, uh, which is not a big deal. But still, uh, you know, that's another reminder. Hey, you know, get off your phone. And lastly, you just put it on airplane mode. And that's what I do at night when I go to sleep. I'll put it on airplane mode. You could leave it outside your room if you're, if you're really having a difficult time resisting the temptation. But that's also a big one. And you can also put it into red, super red mode, which is a, I have a YouTube video. And, and I have it where if I hit my button on the side three times, the phone will turn completely red as well, which will wow. filter out all the blue light. Or you could put on blue light blocking glasses. But, you know, the whole point is, is just to, find ways to dial down off the phone. I don't have a TV in the bedroom. TVs are, are, are terrible triggers. People say, well, you know, I, I fall asleep with the TV on. I mean, okay, if you have to do it, you have to do it. Fortunately, TVs are further away from your eyes, so the blue light exposure is less, but still there's, there's a lot of content being fed. And if you're into any kind of intimacy, you, you would know that TVs usually kill that aspect. So I don't have a TV in the room. Generally, I, my phone goes in airplane mode. And the things that I'll do instead are going to be, uh, I have this thing called a brain tap, which I've been doing twice a day, uh, which has been very, very helpful. It's basically guided meditations with binaural beats and there's some red light therapy that has been great. Or I'll read a book and I have a special little amber orangey colored clip light that doesn't disturb melatonin release at night. And I'll just clip that onto the book and, and read a few chapters. That's an awesome idea. I love reading at night. It's something that I know I benefit from, obviously, you get to learn. I generally will read personal development books. Uh, but you get to learn while uh, not staring at a screen. And uh, it's a great way to wind down before the night. And uh, I notice even with that, my HRV is generally higher. My, my sleep scores are generally higher when I read a book at night. Granted, my daughter doesn't wake up three times in the middle of the night, of course. <laughs> There's always some kind of challenge. <laughs> What are some challenges or, or some things we can do when, when it comes to the kids? I know a lot of your patients, a lot of my patients have kids and the sleep challenges that come up with kids as well. And I know we didn't really mention, discuss talking about this, but what are some things that, that you've uh, either done yourself or noticed other people doing 
really helping to get kids to fall asleep a little bit better and how we can support ourselves when kids are involved? That's a big question. And, and like I said, the patients that I treat, you know, men usually 40 and over and women 50 and over, they, they, you know, they have kids, they have families, generally a little bit older at that point. But kids is a challenge. They've affected my sleep. You have yours. What can you do? So there's a couple things. You know, obviously, I try to keep my kids in a minimal electronic exposure environment. It's difficult these days because they've got stuck at home now with, with all these Zoom classes. Uh, they'll wear blue light blocking glasses, uh, which will help with light exposure. And it's just back to the fundamentals. I mean, it's, it's controlling their light exposure. It's, it's feeding them well. You know, I, if I go out down the street, I can see these long lines for, for fast food. And, you know, it's unbelievable how much junk is being fed into people's mouths, especially kids, uh, because they're, they're, they're ultra sensitive. So feeding them well, uh, keeping them a minimal electronic exposure, keeping them outside, having them play. That, again, will, will funnel them down into a better night's sleep. I know I just bought a trampoline for my kids, and every time they're jumping around all day, they fall asleep much easier at night. Uh, I'll read them store Back to the book reading, I'll read them stories at night. It's producing a cocoon or, or a sleep environment or, or mentality, and they'll pick up off of you as well. If there's anxiety, if there's stress, uh, they're like little receptors. So it's about maintaining as much composure as possible. And sometimes it's difficult, but you know, we ha I have a fortune in my house. I've, I've have a, what I call the recovery room and, and I've designated one. You can either do a, a little corner in the house or, or an actual room. Uh, there's no electronics. We, we play music. We sit there, we can do knitting. We can do some biohacking stuff. I've got the thing called alpha stim, which is a cranial electrotherapy device. And I'll hook that up on them if they're going a little crazy and that will help calm them down. We'll do some massage. I was, I was massaging my son's back and he was loving it. And then I grabbed his ears and I know we've talked about vagus nerve activity. I actually, actually was started massaging his ears and that just had him melt as well too. So it's a, it's a management thing. And if you put all those together, generally they should sleep better and hopefully not bother you and wake you up in the middle of the night. That's amazing. So many great suggestions in there. I can't even, I'm going to have to rewind it and listen to this again myself. I love it though. From the parent side, obviously, that's so important and, and wanting the best for your kids, not only for their sleep, but also for their overall ability to function at the highest level. I love that so many of these suggestions had nothing to do with sleep directly. And I'm definitely going to take your recommendation on having a parasympathetic room where you can go and do all of those biohacking uh, little things and, and get yourself into a parasympathetic zone. Uh, without any electronics, without any challenges that, that would push you into that hyper-stimulated state. So definitely we'll, we'll work on that. I want to talk a little bit about the temperature of sleep as well. Something that we notice when we're, when we're sleeping at night on the aura ring is that we have a, a difference in our body temperature and that generally on nights when the body temperature drops a little bit, we tend to sleep better, that HRV tends to be a little bit higher and our sleep scores are, are improved. What are some things we can do to help improve the kind of the temperature and, and even just the full environment of the bedroom to allow us to sleep in, in that better state? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and a lot of people don't know the connection. A lot of people know the connection about light and sleep. They say, okay, fine. I need to put block out curtains. Uh, I need a dark room. But there's two regulators of sleep. One is light and one is temperature. 
And it makes sense if you think back in the in the ancestral or caveman world, you know, you would go to sleep when the sun went down and the temperatures dropped and you would wake up when the sun comes out and the temperatures go up. Uh, the challenges these days is, you know, these beds have become heat sinks and people aren't getting that body temperature drop that they need to. Or it's a challenge because you have to crank the AC, open a bunch of windows, get a bunch of fans on. And that could be still a challenge because let's say you're a perimenopausal woman in her early 50s and you're having these hot flashes. Well, you could have all that cranked and still have issues. So fortunately, technology has come to the rescue in terms of temperature. And what I use is you know, temperature cooling, bed mattress cooling systems, things like the chili pad or the Uller or the bed jet. Probably my number one favorite a hack in the world is the bed jet, which is a system that blows cool air throughout my sheets at night when I go to sleep. What that does is not only cool the body temperature, which allows us to get into deeper sleep, which research has shown, it also wicks away sweat. And if I don't use that, I start becoming a ball of fire. Uh, and my wife too, she puts out a lot of heat as well. And all of a sudden we're just, just in this messy heat mess and wakes you up, reduces sleep quality. And to get into the deeper stages of sleep, the body temperature needs to drop at least a degree, if not more. So Another trick you could do as well, some people like to do a warm or hot bath at night. And what happens is once you get out, you're going to expel that heat and then have a body drop. Or you could do a cold exposure. Depends on what style you like. Some people will do a cold shower. I've got an ice plunge. These are different ways where you can kind of hack or regulate the body's temperature to get better night's sleep. I love that. And, and understanding that temperature plays such an important role and being able to set up that environment for it using technology in, in a positive way where we're not then staring at the news or, or whatever else is, is uh, happening around us. We're actually using it to our benefit. That's wonderful. Yeah. What are some of the best things we can do for, for darkening our room and making sure that the environment is set up? And, and in addition to that, what about sound? Or how do you feel about white noise and things like that? Yeah. So back to your earlier question as well, too. You know, what can we do? I call it a sleep sanctuary. Okay. How, how do we make a sleep sanctuary? You know, the, the, a few key things. One is going to be, you know, blackout curtains or a dark room. Uh, we know that if light hits the eyes at night, it's going to restrict melatonin release. So we, we want to have that. So blackout curtains is one option. Another option is going to be a uh, eye mask. I know we've talked about different masks, you know, there are some that are very basic that just, just an eye mask. There's ones that have you know, cups for your eyes and there's binaural beats and there's a sleep crown, which I haven't tried, but it also puts a little bit of pressure. It's almost like a weighted blanket uh, on your forehead, which helps activate parasympathetic and, and, and vagal tone. That's also nice. So a dark room, whether it's through an eye mask or curtains is going to be beneficial. A, a cool room is also going to be beneficial. Like we've talked about, you want to have you want to be under 68 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. I don't, I don't know what that converts into Celsius, but uh, that's also going to be beneficial. What else I do is obviously try to keep it device-free or in airplane mode. I also try to keep it EMF-free. You know, I have my router on a, on a timer, so that, that goes off. Uh, I have grounding sheets on my bed, which connect into the ground of the wall, which helps dispel positive charge built throughout the day. So I get the effect as if I'm sleeping on grass throughout the night, which helps with inflammation and helps with getting into deeper sleep as well. 
And as far as sleep sanctuaries and white noise go, I have air filters in my room, uh, which filter the air because I am a mouth breather, <laughs> like we've talked about before. So although I do tape my mouth and, and breathe through my nose, I'd still rather have cleaner air. That generates a little bit of white noise. So I don't mind. And if, if you feel like you sleep better with white noise, go for it. If you feel like you sleep better without it, you know, go for it. It's a matter of personal preference. A lot of these yeah. things, a lot of people will say, this is what you got to do. But I say, do, do it or try it. See what you think. If it helps you, keep doing it. If it doesn't help you, move on to the next thing. Love it. For the record, 68 Fahrenheit is 20 degrees Celsius. 20 degrees, and nice and even. Yeah, definitely makes it easy to, uh, to keep that in mind. So set your thermostat to 18.5 to 19 if you're in Canada, and then you should be good. <laughs> yeah, which is easy in the wintertime, just, or just open window. <laughs> even better. Yes, exactly. You mentioned the, the showers, the warm shower, or the cold shower, and I know there's kind of that personal preference that comes to it. Uh, we do know, obviously, cold showers do stimulate vagus nerve activation and get us into that lower respiratory rate, lower heart rate, and actually prep us for that. Is there something to be said for using some of those tools to get into a state that is far more parasympathetic and prepping yourself to sleep? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I do when I get into my cold plunge is I try to get into base of my skull you know, and try to get that vagus nerve right where it's exiting in the back here, yeah. uh, kind of behind the ears, back of the occipital area or the um, mastoid yeah, process. Yeah. There's a thing that's very interesting I learned about a couple of years ago called the mammalian dive reflex. And that's where if your face hits water that's cooler than your body temperature, what will happen is you'll get an instantaneous reduction in heart rate and you'll get parasympathetic activation. So what you can do even at night, if you want to just try a quick, easy hack is get a big bowl, fill it up with cool water and dunk your face in and track your heart rate, see how you feel, see how you sleep. That's just an easy way to get a little bit of a temperature drop and also a way to start playing with your your mindset and your tone and your breathing and, and your relaxation response, because this is what people use these called free divers. Now, these are people that go and they'll go underwater for minutes and minutes and minutes at a time, just holding their breath. Uh, they're taking advantage of this thing that's been passed down through sea creatures to humans. I don't know. I think we have a little bit of evolutionary genetics in us that allows us to do this. And sometimes we are more <laughs> sea creature than human, but that goes back to you know, the whole cold exposure, get, getting your face in some water. I think it's great. Or just having the shower head hit cold water in the back of your neck. Any of these little things. I mean, it's just, it's just an experimentation thing. Just all, try different things out. I love that. So good. Mammalian dive reflex. I, I notice a, a definite benefit, even just from splashing cold water on my face. I always feel a little bit more calm. Like it wakes me up, but it also puts me back down. Well, it's interesting. I mean, look at any movie, right? Where you've seen a guy, he's in a stressful situation. He just killed somebody or, you know, he's about to go into a big boxing fight. What they're they're going to go to the bathroom. They're going to turn on the faucet. They're going to pour some cold water on their hands. They're going to splash it on their face, right? I mean, it's just, it's just we, we know that that helps. And it's just so quick and easy. And, and we don't put that connection together. It's just like when we talk about like your dad who's, who gargled all the time. I mean, you just do it because you know it works. You don't put the connection together. But when you look a little bit deeper into it, you see, well, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely love that. I feel like there's been so many really amazing tools in this episode already. I don't want to add so many more, but I, I absolutely love this conversation. Sleep really is such an important piece of, of our overall health puzzle. And the fact that we spend nearly a third of our life sleeping 
and prepping ourselves to be able to function at a high level for the remaining two thirds of our life. It, it really goes to show just how important it is to set yourself up for a very positive experience at night. Dr. J, thank you so much for, for all your amazing expertise. Where can people learn more about you? I know your Instagram is pretty active and I love being able to see a lot of the cool stuff that you're doing. Where can people find you? Yeah, the best way to connect with me or follow me is on my Instagram, Sleep Biohacker. The website is sleepbiohacker.com and that's where you can get in touch with me. I could do sleep consultations, sleep studies, uh, airway stuff that we've talked about, all the different products I, I have listed on there. And, you know, you can see all the latest and greatest of, that I'm up to, all the different gadgets I'm playing with and uh, have some fun. I love it. I love that technology is finally catching up to what it is that we want to be able to do and, and all of the tools that we have now with living in the pandemic world that we do. Um, that technology is caught up and we can actually assess sleep and assess airways and assess breathing and, and all of these challenges throughout the night. We were talking about other tools previously that some of our special guests are going to be able to learn about in the Upgrade Inner Circle next month. So really excited to share a lot of these tools with people. Highly, highly recommend following Dr. Jay Corsandi at Sleep Biohacker on uh, Instagram and definitely checking out his website and learn more about what you can do to help optimize your sleep and get yourself upgraded, ready to take on the challenge of every single day. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. J. Thank you. Thank you.